0: Uh, let's get into this, Genesis chapter 25. So it, I was saying that it was, my, it was the first funeral that I had ever officiated. I've been a pastor for three months or so, uh, and a man walked into my office. He sat across from me, and you know, I asked him, you know, how can I help you? And well, my, mother had, my mother just died. I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. And, no, it's fine. And to which I said, well, no, I, I really am sorry. I mean, that's, that's, that's a difficult situation, which he put up his hand and said, no, no. I mean it. It's okay. Okay. Uh, so I agreed then to do the funeral service and began to ask him about uh, service order and songs and, and maybe memories that he might have of, uh, of his mother. And he interrupted me again, and he said, Listen, Pastor, I, I really don't care what you do. Just get it over with. Uh, she's been cremated. There will be no formal funeral. It's a graveside service. It'll be short, and that'll be it. And then he went on to tell me about the tragic story of this woman and how she had abandoned her uh, first husband and all of him and his brothers and ran off with this guy and never really reconciled with any of them except uh, except for just one. And so on the day of the funeral, it was about 35 degrees and raining. And if you've ever been outside when it's not cold enough to snow, but it's, it's raining outside, it, it's colder than it is any other time. And so I was there shivering. Uh, I, I would be instructed by the funeral director of, of when to start. Uh, but I didn't start until I took in the site. And I counted eight people at this funeral. Now, I know that numbers are no indication of a life well lived. There can be people that pass away that no one are there to be able to, to honor them. But I knew that this woman had made life miserable for, uh, for her, her family and that many of them had, re- had resented her. And I remember uh, thinking to myself that this woman here had lived 80-some years, and all that she got to show for it was a 20-minute service and no one who cared. And I thought, surely we can live for more. Surely there's something that we can, some way that we can live that is better than that. We can die better than that. And as we end our series here on the life of Abraham, we end it at a, at a different funeral. Not one that is attended by eight people, but only two. This is a funeral that doesn't—it uh, doesn't celebrate a death, but rather a life well lived in in faith, and a uh, faith that was in the past, but now lives in faith in the realization of that faith right now. And in reality, it matters little how many people actually uh, attended this funeral. Abraham lived by faith, and he died in faith, and it wouldn't be until after his death, when he had passed on and his sojourning in this world was done, that he would finally be able to see the fruits of his faith and the full fruition of what God had promised to him, because Abraham was looking forward to Jesus Christ. And as we look upon the final days of Abraham here, we can be assured that a life of faith is a life that is well-lived, that a death died in faith is a death well-died, and we can be assured that the death in this world is not the end. Let's break those down just a little bit. First, live life well in faith. Live life well in faith. Throughout all of the Scripture, Abraham's life here is one that is, that is heralded as one of faith. What is faith? Hebrews 11 uh, tells us? It says that now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And this indeed, this is this is a summary of, of Abraham's life he moved away from everything that he knew he moved away from his father's house he moved away from his homeland of babylon he uh, went away from the support of any extended family that he he may have had and he is left only with one nephew lot and a, a, a barren wife to follow this god that he did not know a god who claimed to be the lord over over all the one true and living God. And when he got to this place that God promised him, uh, God had Abraham look over all of this land and say to him, I promise that this land will be yours and your descendants forever, that peoples and nations would be blessed because of you. And he promised Abraham that he would be the father of nations, for his name even is father of many, Abraham there's three problems with this. Abraham was a foreigner. He didn't own any land. Second, he was old and he had a a barren wife, but yet he still believed God's Word just as much as everything that he could see in his life. He never wavered in in his faith. True, he did backslide, meaning he fell from his faith. Maybe not fell from his faith, but he backslid into sin Every so often, there were some times, though, that we saw that God always showed himself to be worthy of Abraham's trust. God always came through for Abraham, and Abraham always repented of his sin and came back to the God of promise, and it wouldn't be for another 25 years after that. That Abraham's convictions of the things that he could not see would actually become a, a reality for him. It wasn't until he was over 100 years old and his wife was over 90 years old that he would look in the face of this boy Isaac whom all the promises rested and he was shown that God is trustworthy. Friends, God is Worthy to put our trust in. He is worthy of your faith. He is worthy of your affections. He is worthy of our trust. And it wouldn't be for another 30 years or so after Isaac was born that Abraham would truly see all of these promises come together. But it wouldn't be it wouldn't be coming in the, the cooing and the babbling of a of a baby boy. Rather, it would come at the funeral of his wife, Sarah, that we saw in Genesis 23. In the midst of mourning over his wife, God again promised himself to be faithful to Abraham because whereas he said to Abraham, all of this land was going to be yours, and Abraham hadn't seen that yet, God allowed Abraham to purchase just a small piece of property by which he could bury his wife, Sarah, Sarah. And the purchase of that property is the down payment of the land that God was promising Abraham's descendants to come to. It would be symbolic of what's to come. In verses 1 through 6, we find that Abraham was, was able to look upon God's promises with his own eyes. Look with me in verse, starting in verse 1. Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Keturah. Remember, this is after Sarah had passed. And she bore him Zimram and Jokshan and Medan and Midian and Ishbak and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. And Dedan sons were Asherim and Lechuim and Leumim. And Midian's sons were Epher, and, and Hanach, and Abidah, and, and Elda'ah. All these sons uh, were sons of Keturah. And Abraham gave everything he owned to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of his concubines. And, and while he was still alive... He sent them eastward, away from his son Isaac, to the land of the east. Now, don't let that language fool you here, because it would be easy to read that language. And think about Abraham like he has a broom, just shooing out these other kids out of the land, because this is this is the land of of promise and it goes to Isaac. That is not what's happening here. Rather, what he is doing is he is sending his, his progeny eastward throughout the different countries to establish the validity of of God's promise, the validity that many people would come from him, that nations would come from him, that a great, vast, many people, they're going out to make nations, to make new people, people that would be blessed because of the promise to Abraham. And now here he is at 175 years old, and Abe can die knowing that he lived a life of faith and has seen God work and not only be the God of promise, but also the God of fulfillment. But as we view his final days, it appears that Abraham didn't see the complete fullness of this because we look in in Hebrews chapter 11 and, and verse 13 and following, this is what it says. These all died in faith. Although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them." And so, in other words, as the cold dew of death is on Abraham's forehead, he could look at all of the land that was promised to him, and he can say, I didn't get it all. And that's okay. Because what I see here is not all that is to be had. This isn't it. There is more to come. Where I am going is greater than this place. And in faith, Abraham died having a life of faith, knowing that there is something better and something bigger that this life can offer. And Abe was promised all of these things, and he didn't get them. Was he cheated? After all, he was promised much and given little. But before we answer that question, perhaps we need to ask a more fundamental question. If you were to die today, if you were to be diagnosed with a terminal illness or uh, that, uh, that something you knew was going to happen very, very quickly, would you believe that God has cheated you? that you didn't get everything that you want. I want to suggest that if you are living in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever comes your way, God is not cheating you. Whatever comes your way comes from His goodwill, His good work, His good pleasure in order to make His plan perfect in your life. And as I think about this, I remember my my friend Randy Andreessen. When I first met him, he was progressing into more advanced stages of ALS uh, or Lou Gehrig's disease. And uh, the more I I got to know him, the more that ALS uh, really shriveled him down uh, to nothing. I mean, here was a man in his 50s. He had decades ahead of him. He had daughters that he would never see married, grandchildren that he would never be able to hold. And from a worldly standpoint, my friend Randy had every understandable reason in a worldly sense to be angry and to be bitter at God. He had every reason to say, this is not fair. But when I would talk with Randy, I never once got the sense that he was cheated. He would say to me, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I have Jesus. I know what's going to happen is going to be for my better, and this is going to end up for my good. God never cheated me. And because of that, Randy has everything right now. The interesting thing is, Randy didn't have Jesus before his diagnosis of ALS. It was after his diagnosis that he came to know Jesus. See, we can live a life of many days. You can have the best job in the world. You can have the best marriage in the world. You can have the most behaved uh, children that ever lived, and you can have all of your hopes, you can have all of your dreams come true, but at the end of your days, if you use those things as evidence of a life well lived, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed because you, we must give up this unrealistic and unhealthy notion that this life is all bound up in stuff. We have to give up the notion that uh, life is bound up in success, that life is all bound up in just getting by. And when we realize that, we can live in reckless abandon in faith of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we can live by faith in a way that it doesn't matter if we die at 20 years old or if we die at the ripe age of 101 in the comfort of our own home. In Christ, we have gained everything. If we have Christ, we can suffer the loss of all things because we have everything in Him, and there's nothing else. Paul puts it the best in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, when he says that everything I, that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that's through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being comforted in his death, assuming uh, that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Goals are great things. Is that your goal? That last verse. Is that your goal? Abraham was not cheated because he didn't get it all in this life. And when we live by faith, we can live to lose everything, trading them for the glory and the value of Jesus our Lord. So we need to live life well, live it in faith. But second, we also need to die well in faith. We need to die well in faith. I've said it a number of times, but I think it's worth saying again that we have a culture that has an allergy to death. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to, uh, well, we certainly don't like to go through it. We don't like to dwell on it. We avoid it at all costs, and, and, and naturally so, because death is something that is so very unnatural. Now, that may make you take a little pause back, because we don't typically think about death as a very unnatural thing. But it's not because it is something that should not happen. It's not in the original plan. It was was the wages of sin. It wasn't wasn't what was supposed to be, and none of us wants to die. And even in the church, there is the same sentiment. Sure, we believe in the eternal felicity, the eternal happiness of of, uh, believers who are in Jesus Christ after death, in theory anyway, but in light of that, we often view death as the worst thing that could possibly happen to us. Yes, it is the the result of the curse. But what if, what if you and I began seeing death through God's eyes rather than ours? Maybe then we can live with the radical notion that death could be the best thing That happens to us. It was for Abraham. Look in verse seven with me. This is the length of Abraham's life: one hundred and seventy-five years. He took his last breath and died at a good old age and contented. And he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar, the Zethite. And this was the field that Abraham bought from the Hethites. Abraham was buried there. With his wife Sarah. And after Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who lived near Beer Lahai Roy. Three observations. Notice that externally, it wasn't until Abraham died that we see the reconciliation of Abraham's children. The son of the flesh. Ishmael, the son of the promise, Isaac, they come not only to bury their father, but notice they also come to bury the hatchet. There are two brothers that were, that were at odds because of the promise, and they had this unified thing going on between them, and that was in the person of their father. And we know that things don't go well for their descendants, those that would, would come after them, but at least here, We see a peaceful resolution between these two brothers that were at severe odds with each other, and it wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for Abraham's death. Second, notice also that it was only after Abraham's death that the promises of God were officially transferred to Isaac. We find this in verse 11. It says that after Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac. Abraham's mission's accomplished. Now it's Isaac's turn to take up that torch and run with it. And third, notice that it was only through Abraham's death that he could truly experience life. After 175 years, at this point in his life, you would think, obviously, that Abraham would see this coming. In all of my years of ministry, I've noticed uh, that when people... Uh, are at the mindset of being near death, their mindset really boils down to just a few different reactions. One is that you can die peacefully in your, in, in, in your, uh, in your, at the end of your life thinking that because you were a good person, all will be well. It's this idea that Everyone's going to go to the same place, because if you're a good person, that's, that's what happens. This is what happens when unbelievers, with unbelievers who don't know Jesus, or you can spurn God and be angry with him, that He took something from you that you didn't think was fair. That's probably the most tragic because Jesus says, From out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or you can die in joy, graciously, even in pain and suffering, knowing that God is good and he has been good to you through all things. Notice here that there is no bitterness in Abraham's heart. There's no, there's no indignation of him putting his fist up to God and, and saying, you cheated me. He had done everything that God asked him to do. He had run the race. He had finished the course. And he died knowing that he had done everything that God wanted and believing that God was going to do everything that he promised to do. And in Abraham's mind, this was the best thing that could happen to him. You know, I've been... Uh, around uh, death now enough in my, my 10 years of ministry uh, that I've noticed a few things about Christians and death. We tend to live with, on this weird fringe where we view death differently depending on the circumstance on which it comes. On the one hand, we see someone who has lived uh, the fullness of days, They've lived to a ripe old age, or perhaps they've suffered for many years and they pass away, and our sentiment typically is, well, they're in a better place now. And that's good. That's right. They are in a better place. That, that's, that, is, that is right on. But I've also seen the opposite of that, where there has been a tragic, unexpected death a teenager in a car accident or some sort of disease that wipes someone out very, very quickly. And the response is never, oh, that person is doing better now. Rather, that response is, this should not have happened. This person went way too young, way too quick. How fair is this? And so we have this juxtaposition of looking at death as a good thing, but also death as a bad thing. But God looks at death in, never looks at, at death in faith as tragic. He looks at death in faith not as a waste. Do you know how God views death? Psalm 116 tells us. It says this, Precious. In the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That's how the ESV puts it. I love how the CSB puts it too. The death of his faithful one, there should be a space there, is valuable in the Lord's sight. Is valuable. Your death, if you are in Christ, is precious to him and it is precious to him, irrespective without, uh, and without discrimination to the manner and the timing of death, and your, pre- and your death is precious to him. Why? Because he knows that that is the only way that his children that he loves can be with him in his fullness, and they can fully experience total transformation and eternal happiness with him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that, in fact, we're confident. That and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord, even in your health. Have you ever preferred to be away from your body? God knows that there's nothing better in the universe than Him, there's nothing better in the universe than God. To for God to look at anything as better than Him would make Him an idolater because they would be He'd be putting them. As God. And so when the believer dies, we see Psalm 43 4, which says, Then I will come to the altar of God, to God my greatest joy. And so if you're a believer in Christ, whether you're six or whether you're 102, your death in the Lord is precious. And your life of faith is not wasted. For Abraham, death was the only way that he could see true life. And for us, we have seen these promises fulfilled in Christ. And in death, we will go to him and receive them in full. Therefore, we must die well in faith. Finally, we have to trust We have to trust that death is only the beginning. It might sound strange, but the only way to understand this passage is actually to look beyond this passage. If we just left it here, we'd be left to believe that that Abraham is is dead, he's in the grave, and and that's it. And the promise, it goes on to to Isaac, and, and it'll be the same thing for him. And we'd be left with the idea that death is that, just a body in a box, and that's it. I mean, after all, the the idea of the afterlife and heaven and hell and and what happens after you die was not even in a Jewish mindset, and it wasn't fully developed really until around Jesus' time or shortly uh, at the end of the intertestamental period. But in Matthew 22, Jesus steps in and he gives us a different understanding. In Matthew 22, it's interesting, the Sadducees come up to Jesus and they try to trick him as they always do and say to him, well, it, you know, talking about, uh, I believe it's, he's talking about uh, death of, uh, of a spouse. Well, if, if the woman's spouse dies and she marries someone else and then he dies and, and they, they go on this regression, whose husband is she going to be then in the afterlife? And they try to trick him. But embedded in his retort... Notice what he says here in Matthew 22. Now, concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to by God? That I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? That even though Abraham is still in the, his body is still in the grave. He is alive and well. He's well right now. Though Abraham has not been physically resurrected yet, he, is, he has experienced the spiritual resurrection of being with Jesus in heaven. And Abraham is alive right now. And it's not as if he, Abraham just died and he, he is in sort of a, a soul sleep until the new creation. Rather, When he died like that, he was with Christ. There's no break in time, but it was just the beginning. And the same is true for us. That when we live by faith and die by faith, it is not the end. You know, I'm reminded of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian, and he was also a, a, a Lutheran pastor uh, who was imprisoned in a death camp by the Nazis in the end of World War II for conspiring to take Hitler off of his, uh, out of his position. And uh, he was killed just days before the Allied troops came and liberated his camp. On the day of his death, he had a, a worship service, with his inmates, and when it was time for him to go to the gallows and be hung, the last recorded words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer were this, this is the end. For me, the beginning of life. Our faith journey in this life is only a precursor to the joy That will come one day when we're with Jesus. Here we experience pain. Here we experience sorrow. Here we experience affliction. And we experience it in order to be with Christ. And how much sweeter will it be? We will see, we can see Christ as he is in the age to come. In the age to come, we will join Abraham. We'll join Isaac. We'll join Jacob. We'll join all of the community of saints who have gone on before us throughout, uh, throughout time. And we will be alive more then than we ever have been now. Friends, this is the story of Abe. This is a life that has not ended and it is not going to end and it can be your story too if you are found to be trusting in Jesus Christ, Abraham's true seed and the fulfillment of his promise. We've been talking a lot about uh, death and dying this morning and it's not my favorite topic to, to talk about. But in reality of it, you and I must Face it, because like it or not, you and I are part of the greatest statistic ever. Ten out of ten people die. That's what's going to happen to us. And we need to be ready for it. But the truth is that the glory of death only applies to the people who trust in Jesus. Hebrews 9 tells us this. It is appointed for people to die once and after that judgment. And so there is a time that Scripture tells us that after we die, we are going to be uh, with God and we're going to be judged not on how, only how we lived, how we thought, but also in the things that we had said. That's a heavy burden to bear. Because that is decades and and decades of mistakes and sins and regrets. And though we might try to make ourselves feel better about that possibility of passing through God's assessment through our internal goodness, the fact is that there is no good work that you or I could ever do in which God would say, Wow, you're an amazing person. I'm going to let you in to my kingdom. It is impossible for me to steal a car and go before the Canaveral County judge and say, Judge, I know I stole a car, but you know what? I've been a pastor for 10 years, and so I think you should let me go based on that. Well, then he's going to try to get me for bribery or some sort of (laughs) weird thing on that. He wouldn't be a good judge if he were to say, oh, yeah, you're right. Man, you're off the hook. He wouldn't be a good judge. And so it is with God. The Bible also tells us in 1 Peter 3.9 that God is not wanting, he doesn't want any of us to perish, but all to come to repentance. Through the prophet Ezekiel, he said that the Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked. Because of that, God provided a way for us to be good again, he sent Jesus, his son, into the world to live this perfect life that we couldn't live. Not to show us up and, and show him how great he is, but to take our place, to live the life that we couldn't for us. And he died the punishment on the cross. He hung and He uh, hung on the cross and suffered a brutal death to show that he would take the punishment for us. And when he, and when he rose from the dead, he showed us victory. And this isn't just for us to get a a, a get-out-of-jail-for-free card that he passes out to every single person who ever lived. Rather, this living and dying and raising are only for those who trust in him, for those who believe in in, in his person and his work. So friends, as we close out our time this morning, Jesus is putting before you Death, in rejecting his offer of life in him, and he is also putting before you life through God's grace, in God's grace, through faith. Which this morning are you going to choose? Death is not the end of the road. It is not the final chapter There is an eternity in front of us that is full of life and joy more than we can imagine. But in in order to experience those things, those never-ending chapters of bliss and enjoyment in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we must trust in Him. So will you today cast aside all of those things that you stake your life in other than Christ? and see them as loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus our Lord.